Our scripture reading is from Philippians 2, 5 through 11. You can follow along in your bulletin and in your Bible. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Well, good morning. Our vision here at Hope Chapel is to be a gospel community that seeks spiritual, social, and cultural renewal in our city and beyond. And over the past several weeks, we have been unpacking our vision as we walk through Paul's letter to the Philippians. And since we have some new folks here this morning and others that might have missed uh, some previous sermons, I want to give you a brief review. In 50 AD, Paul and Silas planted a church in a small Roman city of Philippi. And then over the next 10 years, a deep partnership grew between Paul and the Philippians. The Philippians supported Paul financially as well as praying for him on a regular basis. And Paul's affections toward the Philippians ran deep as he heard of their faithfulness to the gospel message in the face of intense persecution that was going on in Philippi. And then in 60 AD, Paul was imprisoned in Rome and given a death sentence for proclaiming the gospel. News of his imprisonment spread quickly throughout the region. And as you might imagine, because of their kindred spirit, the followers of Christ in Philippi were particularly concerned. So in an effort to comfort and exhort and encourage the Philippians to stay the course and to continue to build God's kingdom, Paul penned this letter. Now as we've walked through the first chapter, Paul has reminded us that in order for us to carry out our gospel vision here at Hope Chapel, we need all hands on deck. We need everyone to participate. Paul's also reminded us that God is the ultimate source of kingdom growth. And success and failure of our vision is not based on external measurements, but on our faithfulness to boldly proclaim the good news of the gospel. And then in verses 27 through 30 of chapter 1, Paul reminded us that our citizenship is in God's kingdom, not here in Greensboro, the United States. And therefore, we are called to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And while such a lifestyle will lead to suffering, we can be assured that it will also lead to many men, women, and children coming to faith in Christ. And then last week, as we turned to chapter 2, where Jim talked about four privileges that are ours as citizens of the kingdom of God, and we were reminded that in order to carry out our vision, we need to remain united, praying for one another, and playing off the same sheet of music. 
seeking not only to meet our own needs, but to meet the needs of those around us. Now this morning, we're looking at verses 5 through 11 in chapter 2. These verses are often referred to as Paul's hymn. And they are certainly one of the most quoted and discussed passages from all of his letters. They are rich with meaning. And we literally could spend a week on every phrase in these verses. You're thinking, thankfully we're not. Uh, We're just going to focus on two things this morning. The two things that I believe God wants us to look at is first, a calling. And then second, a glimpse of the future. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful this morning for your goodness, your mercy, and your grace. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come. Lord, that you would take a very familiar passage to many of us and give us a new hunger and thirst for it. Deeper understanding of who you are and who you've called us to be. And Lord, for those that are here this morning that might not have a relationship with you or who are deeply struggling in their relationship with you, I pray that you would meet them. That you would capture their hearts. You promise that your word will not go out and come back void. And so I rest in that this morning. So give us ears to hear. We pray this in your name. Amen. So the first thing that I want us to consider as we look at this passage is a calling. Now on Wednesday night, I had dinner with some of my neighbors that I hadn't seen in a long time. And as we sat, we kind of called up on things that are going on in Camden Road, which is where we live, different neighbors that have moved, different folks who have come, how different people are doing. And one of the questions that came up was, how was my neighbor Chuck doing? Now, Chuck was diagnosed with incurable stage four lung cancer three and a half years ago. And so I shared a little bit, an update of kind of how he was doing and where he was. And it was almost in unison. All three of them talked about his attitude. And they commented on what an incredible attitude that Chuck has displayed over these three and a half years. How selfless he was. How humble he's been. And how not only has he served the family, but he's also served those of us around him. They were amazed at Chuck's attitude. And as I was considering that and thinking about that after our dinner, I couldn't help but think that oftentimes in the church, we focus most of our attention on our behaviors. And while our outward behaviors are important, what's more important are the attitudes that inform those behaviors. And it's those attitudes that I believe a watching world, my neighbors, are looking at and wondering about and are curious about. And if we're going to seek to bring about renewal, 
here in Greensboro and that the Philippians were going to seek renewal in Philippi, what Paul understood was that our attitudes matter. And therefore, we see after challenging them to do things in verses 3 and 4 to take action, if you look at verses 5 through 8, he turns our attention to our attitude. Look in verse 5. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Paul here is challenging us as followers of Christ to imitate Christ's attitude. Now that begs the question, what is Christ's attitude? And Paul unpacks it in verses 6-8. through eight. He writes, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now these two verses are packed full describing the nature and the attitude of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to take some time to unpack them. Paul takes us back to Christ's pre-existent status. He takes us back before the creation of the world to the time where God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit dwelled in perfect love and unity. He reminds us that Jesus Christ was in the form of God. The phrase in the Greek is in morphe theao, which literally means what Paul quotes in Colossians 1.15, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. And unlike Adam and all of humanity, all of us that followed who were formed in akon theao, in the image of God, Paul says Jesus Christ is the form of God. He is the Son of God. He is equal in substance and power with God the Father and God the Spirit. Paul is saying to the Philippians to us, Jesus is divine. But then in verse 6b, Paul writes, though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Paul here is saying the pre-existent Christ who possessed equality with God chose not to use His equal status for His own advantage. Unlike the first Adam who grasped at equality with God and sought to be like Him, Jesus, the second and greater Adam, did not grasp at equality or exploit it in any way. Paul says Jesus willingly gave it up. In verses 7 and 8a, Paul writes that Jesus emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. Jesus surrendered His pre-existent status 
and took on a lowly status. Jesus took on the status of a servant. Or some translations say a slave. Choosing to subject Himself to the brokenness of our world. Choosing to subject Himself to Satan and Satan's temptations. He took on flesh and blood. John says it this way in John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is only the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus Christ was born in a stable. He was born in a lowly estate. He wasn't born in a nice hospital with a doula and many nurses. He was born surrounded by animals that stunk. He was not born in a manner fitting a king. And Paul then goes on in verse 8b and says, Jesus, having been born in human likeness, humbled Himself. And again, unlike Adam, who was disobedient to God, Jesus was obedient to everything that His Father called Him to do. Even to the point of death. Death on a cross. Jesus obeyed His heavenly Father throughout His life and throughout the three years of His public ministry. In in obeying His Father, it took Him down the road of Calvary. And He died one of the most cruelest deaths that existed in the Roman world. A death that was reserved for rebels and disobedient slaves. Even death on a cross. One commentator was talking about this passage and said, as the Philippians were reading this letter, and they heard that He was obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross, they would all have gasped. We're so used to thinking of Him hanging on a cross, but they would have immediately thought, that's the worst and most humble way a person, an innocent person, can be killed. Paul is saying, this is our Lord and Savior. His mind was steadfast. His mind was self-emptying, humble, and obedient. And this is the mind that God is calling us to have. God is calling us to share in the attitude that was Christ. God is calling us to an attitude where like the second Adam, we choose not to grasp at equality with God, seeking after power, control, comfort, money, sex, and success, but instead choose the mindset of self-emptying where we surrender our rights and our privileges. 
We lay aside our pride and our selfishness. We put on humility as we interact with the others. We clothe ourselves with love and grace and mercy. And we trust our Heavenly Father and choose to walk in obedience even when our obedience is costly and unpopular. This is the attitude that God is calling the Philippians to. This is the attitude that God is calling us to as followers of Christ this morning. This is the radical mindset that God wants us to have here at Hope Chapel. And I believe if if we're going to seek renewal in the city, it's not going to be about programs and fancy things that we do. It's going to be about our mindset, our attitude, our selflessness, our humility toward one another and toward our neighbors and our obedience. But let me pause here for a moment because if you are anything like me, and as I've thought about this all week long, it's impossible for me to not get past me. It's impossible for you not to get past you. Because we were born in the image of Adam. We are instinctively selfish when we come out of the womb. We are instinctively proud. We are instinctively wanting to grasp equality with God. And so, how do we do something that's seemingly impossible? Why would Paul ask us to have this attitude that as I think and ponder it, I think there's no way that I can do it. There's no way we can do it. But if you look back at verse 5, it's so easy for us to miss a, a very simple phrase. Paul in verse 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves, comma, which is yours in Christ Jesus, comma. Which is yours in Christ Jesus? That's the secret of us being able to have the mind of Christ. Paul is saying you can have the mind of Christ because you profess faith in Him. And because you have professed faith in Him, guess what? You are united to Him. You are in Him. He says it in 2 Corinthians another way. If anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old is gone. The new is come. The truth is, though we were born in the image of Adam, If we have professed faith in Christ, we have been rejuvenated. We have been given the mind, the heart of Christ, the nature of Christ. The truth is we can share this attitude because we are new creations. Paul is saying God is calling us to live out the attitude that was Christ, that is already residing in you through your union with Him. It is through our union that we have been renewed and we are being renewed. It is through our union with Jesus Christ that we have the mind of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And so Paul is saying, I'm not giving you a command that you cannot do. I'm giving you a command that you already are. Just be who you are. Be the sons and daughters of Christ. And live a life and an attitude of self-emptying, humility, love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, and obedience. And so the question for us this morning is, will we share the attitude that was Christ that already dwells within us? Will we walk in humility toward our neighbors, our coworkers, our spouses, and friends? Will we repent of our pride and selfishness? Will we walk in obedience, trusting in our Heavenly Father to provide for us? And will we, like Paul says, let our lives be an offering poured out over our city and the world? If we begin to, to live and share this attitude that was Christ that's already in us, then like my neighbors on Camden Road who notice Chuck's attitude, your coworkers, your friends, your family, your classmates will notice your mindset, your attitude that's different than the world's attitude, and they will be drawn to you. And they will begin to ask questions of you. And renewal and restoration will take place. So the first thing that we see in our passage this morning is a calling. A calling to a new mindset. A new attitude. The second thing we see this morning is a glimpse of the future. The Philippian church was a minority group living in a hostile Roman world. And they, like Paul, were under intense persecution. And as you might imagine, having heard that Paul was on death row, that didn't help their morale in Philippi. And I love Paul's heart. Though he's on death row, he can have the mindset of Christ. He's not thinking about his own death. He's thinking about his brothers and sisters in Philippi. And he knew that they were under intense persecution. And he knew that he was calling them to adopt an attitude that might even bring on more persecution. And so he wanted to leave them with a glimpse of the future. He begins in verse 9 by reminding them of Jesus' new status. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. Paul says, yes, Jesus walked in humiliation and He died, but He is no longer dead. God raised Him from the dead. And now, He is living in exaltation. Unlike slaves who did not have a name, God bestowed on him the name that is above every name. The name of Jesus. And then he says to his brothers and sisters, do not lose heart. Because one day in the future, you will no longer be in the minority. One day in the future, Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. Paul's saying in the future when Christ comes back, every knee will bow. The saints in heaven will bow before God. The saints on earth, the dead, even Satan himself will bow. Every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. That Jesus Christ is God. And the eternal weight of God will be known throughout the entire world. God will be glorified. Now Paul's not saying that everyone will live eternally with God because we know that Satan is not going to be with us in heaven. Nor will those who willingly choose to live eternally separated from God. But what he is saying is that even Satan and those who choose to be separate from God will acknowledge that Jesus is God to the glory of the Father. As I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but go back to the Lord of the Rings and the return of the King. And really, my favorite scene in the whole trilogy is at the end. You have Sam and Frodo, they have taken the ring and they've thrown it into the fiery pit. It's burned up. The battle is over. King Aragorn is there. All of mankind is there. And Sam and Frodo approach the king. And they begin to bow. And he says to them, stand up. No one will bow. You will bow to no one. We will bow to you. And everyone including the king, bow down to Sam and Frodo. Everyone, every man, woman, and child will bow down to King Jesus. And they will proclaim that He is the Lord. He is God. That is the truth. That is the reality that we live in. And that is what Paul wants to remind us of this morning. That though we're a minority here in Greensboro, and we're trying to live a mindset that's very different from our classmates, our co-workers, our neighbors, our family. He's saying don't be discouraged. Though you might, you will face persecution. You will suffer. Because one day, every person on Camden Road is going to bow at the feet of Jesus Christ. Every person that lives on your street, every classmate, every person in Greensboro and all over the world is going to bow at the feet of Jesus. And His kingdom will be consummated. And we will no longer be in the minority. We will rejoice and we will worship Him forever and ever and ever. And so, I wonder this morning, how might seeing this glimpse of what is to come spur us on individually and as a church? How might it cause us to do life differently? You know, I'm a, I'm a huge Carolina fan. They won last night. But those that were watching me watch the game in real time know that I was a basket case. Even when we went up by 10 and then went down, well, cut it to 5 and then we won. I was a basket case. 
But when I DVR the games and I know that they've won, there's a complete different spirit about me as I'm watching the game. Because I know the end. And so I'm not yelling. I'm not full of anxiety and fear. I actually enjoy the process and enjoy the game. You guys, we know the end of the game, don't we? And that should hopefully affect how we live and our mindset and our willingness to empty ourselves, our willingness to obey God, our willingness to face suffering because we know the end. And so I wonder this morning, have you kept that right in front of you as you have worked in your job, as you've studied as a student, as you've been a mom and a dad? Have you kept the future right in front of you? The glory that is to come. Paul is saying, keep it in front of us. Don't lose sight of it. Let it be our hope today. In this passage, we learn of a calling and we see a glimpse into the future. And my hope for us as a church is over the next 20 to 30 years when people speak of us, they will say that they saw us and that we were a peculiar people. We had this unique attitude that was different than anything that they'd ever seen. That we loved recklessly. That we gave financially in such an extravagant way that it blew people away. That we obeyed even when it was costly. That we rejoiced in times of great suffering and pain. That we were different because we had this hope of a future, a certain future. And I believe and hope that we will have many people that when we bow our knees, that they're there because they saw how we lived our lives and how we sought to bring about spiritual renewal and social renewal and cultural renewal in our city. And it won't be to our glory. It'll be to the glory of our Father. This is an incredible passage. And we just kind of skimmed the surface this morning. I'd encourage you to do what Paul constantly calls us to do. To pick up this Word every day. To meditate on it. So that our minds will be renewed. Our minds will be transformed so that we might have the attitude of Christ as we move and interact with the city of Greensboro and beyond. To Him be all glory and power and majesty forever and ever and ever. Amen.